0: Hi, I'm Dr. Sonny Ravencourt from the University of Coruscant, and when I can't find reliable information for a lecture, I steal it from the Jedi Temple Archive podcast. Seriously, I do. Their security is terrible. There's like one old lady running the whole place.
1: Hey, Star Wars fans, this is Ro from the ever-imperial, always-Sunny Scarf podcast. Recently it's come to our attention that there's been a security leak here on Scarif Station. I call on all our Imperial agents to be vigilant and to scan the holonet for news and rebel rumblings. I call upon you to access the Jedi Temple Archives podcast for the latest in Star Wars news. Again, this is Roe from the Scarif Podcast, and that's the Scuttlebutt.
2: Welcome to part two of our special mega crossover episode with the Scarif Podcast, and episode forty-three of the Jedi Temple Archives Podcast. There is
1: more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given.
3: Do you think you're up to the task?
2: Episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and we are recording this episode on Monday, February 10th, 2020. Today, we're going to be continuing the conversation that we started on the Scarif Podcast uh, earlier this week as part of our mega crossover episode with Ro and Alex from the Scarif Podcast, and I'm going to have them on shortly. Uh, If you have not listened to the first part of that chat, definitely go over to Scarif Podcast and check that out. Uh, You can download them pretty much anywhere you get uh, podcasts, and uh, you're definitely going to want to listen to that first portion of the podcast uh, just so you can kind of be up to speed on where we left off there, and we pick it up pretty quickly here. But before we get to that, I do want to just take a couple quick moments uh, to kind of go over the HoloNet news because the the chat that we do uh, as part of that crossover episode, basically feeds right into our outro. So it definitely makes sense to do it here. But I also want to point out that we do have a February giveaway going, uh, and that is out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is where I have it posted. We should have it out on our Pinterest as well at JTA Podcast on all those social networks. It is for a and Erso and Cassian Andor set of Black Series characters. So if you are interested in that, please go check out that post. Uh, I will try to bump it up. And uh, all you need to do is just kind of follow the instructions there to get an entry, and I will be picking that winner on uh, February 28th. So I should have that announced there or shortly thereafter. And really the major news story for this week is that Disney has announced that they are going to be taking reservations for the Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel, uh, which is that kind of custom boutique hotel. Uh, that's going to be located over by Hollywood Studios, and uh, it's going to be really a unique experience for hotel guests at the Walt Disney World Resort. It's going to be uh, sort of an all-inclusive. At least that's the expectation. You're going to be able to kind of live your Star Wars dream. You're going to be given a persona when you check in. Uh, again, it's very exclusive. I believe they said it's something on the the uh, level of about sixty-eight rooms or thereabouts. But uh, it's really going to be kind of formatted more like a cruise. It's going to be. Two Two nights, three days, you'll have uh, special access to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge via a shuttle. And uh, it's it's going to be, I'm sure, pricey. Uh, so you're going to be encouraged to take advantage of the things going on there in the hotel. And the other major story for this week is that we are about a week away or exactly a week away as of the date of recording for this episode uh for the seventh season and final season of the clone wars so if you have not finished your uh, rewatch of the clone wars or if you've not seen it prior to now uh, you may want to start binging that on disney plus uh, it is six seasons so it's going to be a tough binge in the next week But certainly worth it to kind of get the backstory that is laid out there. And I really think that a lot of the fans that were were really tied into the story that was going on there within the Clone Wars are going to be very excited to kind of see how that gets wrapped up within this series. Uh, And certainly the animation that we have seen so far looks amazing. So uh, I know I'm personally ready to watch it the day it comes out and looking forward to hearing what uh, your thoughts and hopes are for it. So if you want to drop us a line on our voicemail or shoot us an email, uh, that voicemail number is 201 746 5827 uh, which is JTAP so drop us a line let us know what you think and uh, looking forward to hearing what your thoughts are once that has
1: aired. Congratulations you are being rescued please do not resist.
2: All right, so we are back and this week we are continuing the mega crossover event that we started over on Scarif Podcast uh, earlier this week so if you have not already listened to that episode please go and check it out But I am joined here today by uh, the host of the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast, Ro, and uh, his co-host, Alex from Imperial Entanglements. Guys, thank you so much for joining me here on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Well, did I have a choice? I mean, it was mega crossover, right? (laughs) Yeah, mega crossover.
1: (laughs) How's everybody doing uh, at the Jedi Temple Archives we cannot complain
2: uh you know tom tom's been a busy man so it's been helpful having a couple other podcasts i could do some episodes with we're gonna be getting him back here in the not too distant future but uh you know we really had a great conversation that that got started over there on the scarab podcast regarding fan service the other four-letter word uh and i would Mm -hmm. certainly say that that is an appropriate title for kind of how fan service is viewed in this day and age uh and specifically you know we we talked about it a little bit over on your show but the Rogue One film that came out a few years ago, uh, which was always kind of listed as a love letter to the fans. There are fans that feel like that whole thing is just pure fan service and, and not really in service to any greater story. Uh, but clearly you guys have an attachment to that in the sense that you kind of themed your entire podcast around that. So what was your you know kind of viewpoint, I guess, on the uh, the Rogue One storyline?
1: You know, I uh, Rogue One was fantastic. I loved seeing how the Rebels, uh, you know, obtained the secret plans of the Death Star. I loved all the characters. I loved the throwbacks. I loved the fan service that is Rogue One. It, like you said, it's a love letter to Star Wars fans, and uh, I am all in. You know, uh, Alex had mentioned something uh, in, in, in our podcast early, earlier uh, on our show uh rogue one is one of those things that it really does feel although it's a new uh film from disney star wars it does have that feeling like it was done back in 1977 uh that was released in 1977 from the set pieces from the characters from the sideburns that the x-wing pilots had it was it was just a a really 100 complete uh product of of pleasing the fans in in a good way and uh you know when I had posted that uh initial post about uh fan service uh there were one or two uh followers of ours that kind of got gave us a little pushback thinking that we were using that uh you know term in a bad way and and far from the truth because uh you know like I said Rogue One and and fan service is a great thing because I've always said if you're not doing a film especially a Star Wars for the fans then what the hell are you doing?
0: Alex, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I'm i pretty much in complete agreement with uh, Roe on that. I think um, aesthetically Rogue One really fit the bill for me. Uh, I missed um, that old school original trilogy feel um, in the new era of Disney Star Wars. And uh, Rogue One really filled, uh, gave me what I wanted out of that. And, uh, again, you guys were talking about on the other podcast uh, on the, on the first episode about the, um, the diversity of the cast, you know, you don't, you don't see that, um, as a, as a thing until you really think about it. But that cast, you had Don, Donnie Yen and, uh, and, um, Cassian Andor actor. I can't remember what you guys already told me. Diego, Yeah. Diego Luna. Uh, you had all these great cast members that all these characters, um, that were fantastic and fit into the universe. And, um. I want to kind of push back on, on the whole, like it's not really in service of any greater story. I kind of disagree with that. I think knowing where we got those plans, having that, you know, that line in the opening crawl of, of a new hope, um, kind of given a a full story, I, you know, we kind of know the outcome, uh, but we, we got attached, at least I did. I got attached to those characters, uh, fairly quickly in that movie and it felt great to watch them uh go through this adventure together and it was heartbreaking to watch what happened to them at the end and i felt like their sacrifice is what fed into the original trilogy and into a new hope and as we catch up with that story uh a couple minutes later when leia's you know getting the plans with r2 like it felt so co- cohesive with the entire story that i i I don't see it as kind of like a pointless, you know, service drivel. It's it, it felt very real to me. It felt like it fit into the uh, into the story, and it deserved to be there, in my opinion. So, um, everything about that movie, minus the uh, the Borgullet, <laughs> is probably <laughs> fantastic. Uh, I could take or leave the Borgullet. Oh,
3: yeah. Borgullet can feel your thoughts. No lie is safe. What have you really brought me, Cargo Pilot? Borgullet will know the truth. The unfortunate side effect is that one tends to lose one's mind.
0: No. I, I just, I love that movie. It's so much fun to watch. It's got a great feel to it. Uh, it's got a great message too. Um, I want to remind people of that, like that friendship message where these people were were almost enemies at the beginning of the movie and then by the end, they had all come together to work as a team and it just worked out so well. So I, I think it really did encapsulate the, the heart of Star Wars for me and uh, I'm the fan service was just the icing on the cake having a uh, gold leader and all the other squad members come back at the very end for the scarf battle i mean i almost stood up in my chair and cheered man that was such a great moment and it, it fit so well it, it wasn't out of place it didn't like didn't take you out of the movie it was like yeah of course they would be there they're the leaders of the rebellion you know they're the squad so it, it felt great man i love that movie it's a it's such a great feel good moment
1: yeah, it's oh, definitely wow. one of those moments where uh, you know you want to get up in, in your chair and cheer, and uh, I'm sure people around you would be like, "What is this guy doing?" But uh, <laughs> yeah. it is one of those deep cuts where you realize, "Oh my God, this is the actor, and they brought him back to do some additional, you know, voice recording to to make it fit into this film." And uh, you know that that talk about fan service behind the scenes—I mean, that is a labor of love, if you ask me.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think it's interesting. One of the things that we talked a little bit about on Scarif when we were uh, recording the first portion of this episode was that, you know, Ro, you had shared a, an article with Alex and I about defining fan service in the Age of games. an article out on Film School Rejects by Hayden Kamel. And interestingly enough, in that article, while they're talking about the fact that in a lot of ways, fan service can be a good thing, kind of the, the only negative portion that they had in that story was talking about Rogue One, um, which they consider to have kind of some cheap walk-on cameos from background characters from A New Hope, and then some bizarre CGI resurrections of people like, uh, you know, Moff, Grand Moth Moff Tarkin. So, you know, the interesting thing to me is that the, the, the cameo from uh, Dr. Ebazon and Pandababa on aside, aside, I don't really feel like resurrecting Tarkin's character within that particular film was in any way, shape, or form a bad thing Uh, He seemed to be very much a good fit for the story they were telling. It's more character development, really, for Tarkin uh, than you get, even within A New Hope. I mean, we only get a very brief exposure to him, but he's clearly a very driven uh, individual who who is uh, very adept at political maneuvering. He's basically holding Vader's leash uh, within the story of A New Hope, which is no small feat. So when they sit there and say that, you know, these are just brought back and and they don't really have any bearing on the story, I would strongly disagree with that. I think that uh, Tarkin's character especially, not only was he well portrayed um, with the CGI work that they did in that film, uh, but it was very much a a critical portion of that story.
1: You can't have a film like Rogue One without the character of Grand Moff Tarkin. And you're right. He uh, he was a genius Imperial officer. I think he is the first uh, Imperial to um to hold that title grand moff uh there was no there were no other grand moffs before him i think uh he broke the mold and uh you know a great job from from a technical aspect too it's uh it, it was really great to see
0: yeah i have a i have a love hate relationship with uh with this bringing back uh past actors uh, with the use of cgi i'm not really a big fan of the idea of it Although I think it was um, executed well in the in Rogue One, uh, the actor that actually played the part uh, behind the scenes uh, without the without the CGI mask on um, looked a lot like Peter Cushing. Yeah, um, he actually looked uh, physically a lot like him. I think if they would have maybe used some some makeup a little bit, they actually could have just used him as an actor because he did the voice and everything, and I think he just did a fantastic job. Uh, so in my opinion, and this is, I don't know if this has anything to do with fan service or not, but in my opinion, I think recasting that part uh, with an actor and making them look that way as much as possible using using uh, practical makeup and maybe some digital effects here and there, but not, I don't know, I'm kind of on the fence about the recreating somebody else uh, and, and kind of like sticking their face on someone, another actor, not a big fan of that idea. Um, but I, I agree with you guys a hundred percent. It would have been impossible to tell the story of rogue one with the creation of the death star. And it's without Tarkin, like he's, that's his baby. You know, we, we see him on the death star. That's his, his flagship almost like that's where he belongs. So to have the creation of it, or at least the last steps of its creation, uh, be absent, I think would have been more.
1: Conspicuous.
0: Yeah, it would have been yeah. worse for him not to be there. It would have been like, well, where the heck was Tarkin during all this? Right. Like, if he wasn't there, it doesn't make any sense yeah. not to have him. I agree. Uh, so I'm 100% for that. Uh, I loved having him back and seeing him on screen and, and watching him do his thing.
1: And, you know, uh, getting, back to, getting back to what uh, George Lucas has said in the past, you know, Star Wars was always, uh, at least for him, a vehicle to push technology forward. And uh, the creation of uh, digital uh, Grand Moff Tarkin certainly did that. And uh, I think it uh, it will pave the way for, uh, you know, future endeavors digitally and uh, creatively. Um, I'm not uh, against uh, recreating um, actors uh, in that way as much as as it seems like you are, Alex. Um, You know, I I think, uh, you know, I'm not going to. I'm not gonna sit here and say that, hey, let's let's recreate everybody, but uh, you know, when it's when it's done well, I think when it serves that purpose, I think uh Rogue One is is definitely a good example of why they needed to do something like this. Um yeah. you know uh, it's
0: very, very, it's, I was gonna say it's very specific to Star Wars because it's a franchise that's forty years old. You have right. this character that's beloved by fans. And 40 years later, you're trying to put this character back on screen. That makes sense. But when it comes to uh, films, I think I heard a rumor that Hollywood was thinking about doing a, a film with James Dean. Right. And I'm like, he, he why? Yeah. <laughs> He's been gone for a very long time. And to have you know, some actor um, portray his bodily movements and maybe his voice, but then paste a digital face on top of it. It just seems so off. Like, why not just recast somebody who kind of looks like him? It, it,
1: At that point, we, it like, seems gimmicky.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there there's a fine line to be played. I think Rogue One kind of fares on the side of of being okay, uh although I, again, I wouldn't have been opposed to having an actor as skilled as the one um who who did the the voice have played the whole part. Uh, It wouldn't have bothered me. I think it would have been a fine, a fine thing for them to do. But again, you make a good point about George and his technology. He loves his toys, man. I can't argue with that. You know, he was the one who pushed digital technology uh, forward in the seventies. And again, in the nineties and two thousands with the prequels. So uh, it seems to be um, continuing that legacy.
2: Yeah. I would say that, you know, you look at, you look at some of the things that star Wars does that really aren't done anywhere else. And, uh, this whole concept of, of a film franchise that spans 43 years that has started in the middle, had to go back to the beginning and then jump ahead into the future, uh, isn't really something we've seen done anywhere else. I mean, you have got Star Trek films that were made in the past, and, and really what they've done in the future is kind of a reboot of the, the franchise. Uh, but Star Wars in this nine film arc has very much been kind of a, a storytelling of, of one entire story. Um, you look at uh, potentially like a Ewan McGregor within the prequels, right? Uh, he clearly went out of his way to adopt the, the look to the greatest extent he could and the mannerisms and the, and the speech patterns of Alec Guinness, who had portrayed Obi-Wan so well in the original trilogy. And you could probably even look at something like that and say, is that fan service or is that just him respecting the original work that Alec Guinness had done uh, and he just wanted to make sure that he was portraying that character as truthfully as he possibly could.
1: And, you know, you, you just said something and Alex said it in the last episode. Uh, you know, when it's done right, if it serves the purpose uh, in the story, um, I, I think there is a fine line. Uh, obviously now with social media, everybody's jumping on the bandwagon and using the term fan service in, in a derogatory way. Um, but, you know, obviously, we've discussed it. I mean, there's uh, definitely methods uh, to the madness. There's methods to be able to bring back, uh, you know, callbacks. Uh, you know, a lot of people use fandom fan service as a, as, a, as a bad term. They'll switch it around and say it's a callback uh, just to kind of soften the blow, I feel sometimes. Um, you know, like I mentioned, when I, when, when I posted this, uh, talk about fan service, I got a little pushback and like, no, no, fan service is good. I'm like, no, I know. I love fan service. I'm a fan. Right. Um, but, uh, it, it's, it, it is a very interesting topic. I think, uh, even when I was, um, on an episode of radio misfits, uh, star Wars episode, I was on with Jimmy Mack from Rebel Force Radio, and I just kind of mentioned the term fan service, and he's like, "Whoa, whoa no, no, fan service! Why do you, you know?" I'm like, "No, no, I'm not, like I said, I I love fan service. I just said it because I know, you know, you know what it means. But uh, I'm not using it in a derogatory way. I, I'm a fan, uh, and I, you know, I love to see these callbacks. So, it is a very interesting thing. It's a it's a polarizing thing as anything in Star Wars lately, but. Uh, Yeah, you got to love it. You got to love it. Well,
2: and it's kind of sad that it that it's become that way, right? Because ultimately it's about storytelling. It's about kind of detaching from reality and and stepping into this galaxy far, far away and really enjoying yourself. And when the fans do that and they just kind of let themselves go and live in this world that was created, you know, so amazingly by George Lucas with the original trilogy, uh, you know, you kind of can just sit back and enjoy it and you don't have to worry about the fan service aspect. I feel like the fan service, uh, calling things fan service and, and really getting into that argument is a way to kind of express maybe some, some angst that they have about other things within the overall storytelling. Uh, and we talked about it a little bit on the scare podcast about, um, you know, Alex, you were saying that you don't even like to address the, the last Jedi and, Uh, rise of skywalker because that kind of is just one uh ball of of (laughs) uh controversy i guess that has been created prior to that you know leading up to force awakens it was it was talked about really within force awakens that that was in some ways derivative of a new hope um but again they were trying to relaunch the franchise after after a break i didn't really have so much an issue with that um But I wonder how much of this is really people having an issue with fan service and how much of it is really uh, people expressing a deeper issue they have with the fact that there wasn't a real clear direction for the sequel trilogy. uh, And that was evidenced in those final two films.
0: Yeah, just thinking back to The Force Awakens, I'm trying to think of what may have been a little bit over the top fan service. Definitely Starkiller base, I think, as kind of like a stand in for a Death Star that could be a little heavy handed fan servicey, um, kind of like a, it's a callback to A New Hope, but amped up to 11 for some reason. Yeah. Uh, and, and we've already seen, you know, this planet destroying ball uh, two other times before. <laughs> so they're like there's definite moments and, and there's criticisms about the sequel trilogy and, and the prequels for that matter um, that are legit. Uh, this fan service, I don't know, man, it's a tough subject because being somebody who who doesn't get bothered by that very much. Although when somebody points it out to me and says, see, doesn't that seem weird? I'm like, well, yeah, it kind of does, I guess. Like, why are the First Order, like, just upgraded stormtroopers? Why don't they have different uniforms? And I'm like, well, it's because they wanted to call back to the Emperor they or or the Empire. You know, it's it's fan service. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I get what you're saying. <laughs> so you have to, I'm, I'm trying to look at it from a different perspective now that we're talking about it a little bit more. Um if, you, if you're of that mentality that you're like, hey, I want fresh new ideas, I don't want just rehashed things, I don't want the same, you know, I don't want to see just upgraded at walkers in The Last Jedi on a, on a white planet that's not really snow, but it looks like snow. It's like there's a fan servicey moments that you could definitely look at in a negative light, uh, and they're riddled all over the sequel trilogy. But it's it's hard. These, these modern-day uh, filmmakers who are in charge of Lucasfilm and who are given the the chance to make a Star Wars film, they're all like us. They grew up with Star Wars. They love all of it. So they they want to put these moments in there uh, as much for themselves as for all the fans. Like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we could see like a new type of at Walker? Like, let's do that scene. And then we'll have a, a new planet that's like kind of white, but has like this red underlying crystal. I'm like, I say it that way, it sounds pretty cool. (laughs) So there's like, there's this dueling thing that you can definitely see two different sides of the argument. Um, It's
2: interesting, though, because you never see anyone complain about the fact that Iron Man has 42 versions of his armor, right? Right. The Stormtroopers change their armor, God forbid, right?
3: Yeah.
0: Oh, I love. I loved it when people were mad about the Sith troopers. Like it's just a red stormtrooper. I'm like,
1: I'm <laughs> I was so... gonna mention that. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say when people, and then when the filmmakers do change something, and then you've got stormtroopers riding on this bike that flips <laughs> one of them to the back, and th- that's like totally new. They can fly now. They're like, no, man, that's uh, just to sell toys. I'm like, all <laughs> right, I give, I
0: give up. <laughs> That was kind of goofy, though, man. Like, <laughs> why that was talking about
2: selling toys? Oh <laughs> yeah, trilogy, Yeah, right?
0: that's so... true. George, that was George's bread and butter, man. Selling toys was how he made the original trilogy happen. So, Can't I think it's still,
1: I think it's still his bread and butter. <laughs> yeah.
0: But yeah, I, that
2: they're... is a whole nother conversation. Yeah. I think <laughs> that we should have at some point because I think it is incredible. I don't think a lot of people understand how many places the original trilogy could have failed, stalled, and and never occurred. Um sure. the more I read of the making books, it's it's a minor miracle that original trilogy Star Wars was ever actually a thing.
0: Oh that that but first that. Yeah. the original Star Wars movie, it was saved I think what they said it was saved in the editing bay. Like it was an yeah. awful movie if you watch the unedited just uh, disc- you know, behind the scenes cuts of the of the scenes, where like Darth Vader's helmet's falling off, and like Chewbacca just looks awful at a certain angle, and this and that. But George, you know, worked his magic in the editing bay and uh, and made it happen.
1: It was uh, it was George and Marsha Lucas. Uh, Marsha was the one that uh, saved it in the edit. I'd love to go back in time and just uh, be on the set.
0: Hi, little Padawan. <laughs> what am I doing? doing a podcast
1: we're talking
0: star wars do you want one (laughs) of those
1: (laughs) yeah so yeah i'd love to go back in time and just kind of uh fly in the wall and uh watch uh the filmmakers do their thing and and see how truly horrible of an experience it was and you know george lucas always talked about how bad that directing experience was, you know, none of the crew wanted to go into overtime, you know, they, they were losing light or whatever, and and the crews would be like, no, it's uh, five o'clock, time to quit. And uh, he had such a, a rough time with uh,
0: with the crews in, in, in England. So, but
1: yeah, here we are, 40 plus years later, we're still talking about it.
0: And that, you know, that's the thing, it's the legacy. Everybody wants to call back to that original time because it was such a magical thing that those movies even made it. And then on top of that, how much of a phenomenon they were. So people are constantly looking for ways to be like, hey, I'm a fan. You know, I want to I want to do like a little nod to George or this or that. And that's that's where fan service stems from. I don't think it ever stems from like a negative place. Uh, It's always somebody who just wants to do a little you know, thank you to George and, hey, I remember this scene particularly because of this. So I kind of want to make uh, something that resembles it. And um, they do that in their own movies. And, uh, and you know, J.J. J. Abrams is, is very keen on what fans like. I think you can see that through uh, the, his Star Trek movies. Uh, he, You know, there was a lot of callbacks in, in those movies that were for the original Star Trek uh, TV show. And, um, you know, I think there was a Tribble in there somewhere like that was a fan service yeah. moment to have the Tribble show up in, in Star sure. Trek. Movie. Uh, it's not, you know, I, I don't know. I, I it always puts a smile on my face. He's just talking about it. It makes me smile. So I, I find it hard to criticize fan service. Um, you know, I know and, man, in, I love it. in the long run,
1: in the long run, fan service is good. I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't hold a grudge against fan service. Obviously, there are. You know eye-rolling moments and like i like, oh ha, 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 okay i get it but you know especially with a franchise as old as star wars i mean it's it's really hard not to to spot something that's fan servicey per se because it's occurring in the same galaxy it's occurring in the yeah. same universe that uh that we're all familiar with and if you recognize something and then obviously right away it's going to be claimed as oh look it's it's fan servicey so, you know, okay, that, that's fine. That's your opinion. But uh, it's, it's hard to avoid. And you're right, Alex, I think fan service, uh, you know, stems from a, a good place, uh, almost like, uh, you know, you're, you know, you're giving you're giving credit to something that you love, and you want to, you know, try to, to emulate it. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I think it's a good thing overall.
2: And there's a bigger there's a bigger component with Star Wars, right? Because the one thing that every time a director takes on a project that is Star Wars related, their main concern is not just telling the story, but making sure it feels like Star Wars. So how many of these things are fan service for the sake of fan service? And how many of them are components that put the fan base in that mindset that, hey, this is Star Wars. Uh, watching The Mandalorian, you know, we talked about the fact that when you deal with the, the original, the, the the Star Wars Skywalker Saga, the nine-film arc, that is the only thing that has really taken place over the course of this 42, 43 years. The more recent things, especially that are disconnected from that, that have had a more, uh, more kind of universal acceptance, something like a, a Rogue One, something like The Mandalorian, we're not tied to all this prior baggage. It doesn't, you know we're dealing with new characters in new places in a different time. And we don't have to worry so much about does everything that's going on adhere to the canon I know because we're kind of coming in there's with the Mandalorian. It's been five years since anything that we knew uh, within the Skywalker saga. Um, when we talk about, uh, we talked a little bit about on the scare podcast row, the fact that you got the biker scouts, that are sitting there shooting at the can and they can't hit it. Um, it kind of it's it's another level when you consider the fact that the empire at that point uh, is in a bit of disarray. Um, you're dealing with kind of the the dregs of the empire in terms of the troops that are left. They've already lost two full Death Stars for uh, worth of their their best troops, a super Star Destroyer worth of their best officers and troops. So whoever is left, quote unquote, as stormtroopers, biker scouts, etc are not the A class of that particular group. Um, so there's, you know, there's a whole nother layer that like the super fan is going to think of the casual viewer, probably not going to look at anything in that depth. But it's just really interesting because, you know, anything fan service related, the casual viewer may not even notice it as being fan service or a callback to anything in the first place. Yeah, so I think that uh, I'm going to play a clip here from Charles Westcott, who sent in a uh, a voicemail to our uh, our call-in line. And if anyone is interested in doing that for future episodes, you can reach us at 201-746-JTAP. So uh, give us a call. Let us know your thoughts. But uh, Charles kind of weighed in with his thoughts on fan service. And uh, I'll play that here for you now.
3: Hey, Rob. My name is Charles Westcott. I'm co-host of Conversations Podcast. I don't know if you've heard of us, but we're a little homegrown little operation. And I saw a question you had today uh, with uh, with regards to fan service that you're going to be recording with the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast. And I had a thought about that. In my opinion, fan service uh, used well can certainly increase someone's like for a part of a story or uh, or uh, even a thread of a story because it'll bring that person into the story a little bit more because they make that call out and see, oh, wow, look at that. I figured that out. But if it's used too much, it certainly can derail a story because you're spending too much time trying to figure out where these uh, call-outs are coming from, and you're sort of himming and hawing that, oh, wow, here's another one. Uh, here's another direct reference, or here's a another uh, blatant use of an existing trope or an existing character. But the other side of that is that for the casual fan, those types of call-outs or fan service pieces are one uh, another way to ingratiate. the the new viewer or the casual viewer and bring them deeper into the story. So if they make that connection between the story they're watching and an earlier story they made, they're going to think more about, oh, wow, look at that. I just made that connection. That makes me want to see more. And I think sometimes the Star Wars fans, in my opinion, we sort of pay too much attention to details and lose sight of what the entire point of the story is about is to not only uh, be enjoyable for the people who know the story very intimately, but also try to bring new people into it and make them want to see more and make them uh, have their own personal connections and delve deeper into the universe. So that's my opinion, and uh, hope you enjoy that, and hope to hear my voice on your show, because that would be kind of cool. Talk to you later. Bye.
2: So, kind of as Charles says, you know, interestingly enough, if if you don't have, you know, on the first feeling of a film, if you don't recognize something, is it fan service if you recognize it the second time? Was it that obvious in the first place, right? Um, so, you know, for some of us who are, are familiar with all the Star Wars content and we kind of live it, breathe it, drink it every day, we may catch that on the first feeling. A casual observer may never notice that. Um, yeah. Rogue One, you know, the ghost props up mm. in numerous scenes in that particular movie. Uh casual viewers not gonna know anything about that ship or the backstory. Yeah. Uh, someone who's more of a super fan, uh it, even for me, I didn't realize how many scenes it was in the first several times I watched that film.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: So, you know, super, super pertinent uh example of something that quote unquote could be considered fan service, but very much uh in keeping with what was going on in that time frame.
0: So if we can kind of change the direction a little bit, if you want to talk about, like, that was all really good fan service. The ghost is an excellent example of, of great fan service. It's not recognizable to most people, but the the ones, the fans, right, the the quote unquote fans are going to see it right away and be like, oh, my gosh, that's the ghost. Um, the the episode of Mandalorian that I think I've heard most people say that they kind of were like meh on uh, was the, um, the episode when they went back to Tatooine. Because that was, that was, that was a spoonful of fan service from start to finish. (laughs) Yeah. You've got, when he lands into the, uh, into the bay, uh, you've got those little droids from episode one. Yeah. The, you know, the pit droids, you know, those, that's fan service. Not bad, in my opinion, not bad fan service. It makes sense that they would be there. Um. Then he walks and he just so happens I'm I'm sure I I don't know, is this the only bar in Moss Isley or is that just the (laughs) So it's like he goes into the bar from a new hope, you know, we get that moment where like we recognize where Han Solo was sitting when he shot Greedo. Like, you know, that I don't know if that was necessary. Okay, not a problem. Uh we can handle it. You know, it's it's nice to be back in there again, seeing it like empty. I guess uh, it was kind of a, a, a weird thing for me. I, I expected it to be a little bit more of a bustling city like it was in A New Hope. Um, but I guess after the fall of the Huts, some people were kind of explaining to me like, hey, after the Huts kind of disappeared, you know, Mos Eisley kind of became like a ghost town. There wasn't really any criminal activity going on. So I'm it like, okay.
2: Droids. It yeah, it was mostly, mostly droids too. No droids. We'll yeah, and we don't it. serve
0: their kind here. <laughs> So, and that's could be another example of fan service, right? Because we're both laughing about it. So there's your fan service for the for the moment with the droids. I thought that was funny. Yeah, it's just it's it's interesting to think about. That episode was not my favorite uh for many different reasons. And seeing the Tuscan Raiders, I think I don't know if you consider that fan service, but I kinda had an issue with how they were just like super chill with the Mandalorian. <laughs> like, oh hey, what's up, buddy? How you doing? It's right. good to see you again, you know. It's like what these guys were savages, man! They were like going at people, kidnapping, murdering, torturing, and they're just like, oh yeah, we know Mando. That's that's that cool guy. We've seen him before. Let's have a quick chat. Let him on his way.
1: That <laughs> like entire that entire episode for me seemed very um, like it was a fan film, like literally a fan fan film that you would find yeah. on YouTube. Yeah, I can see that. What's sure. crazy
2: about that is that episode was directed by Dave Filoni and. When I think of a person who understands Star Wars and understands canon and understands how to present stuff to fans in a way that's going to be well received, Filoni is at the top of the list. And I felt like that episode was maybe the one time where him doing a live action uh, episode exposed kind of his unfamiliarity with working with actors, because the issue that I had primarily in that episode was some of the performances that were given. Um, and it wasn't necessarily quote unquote, a bad story, but it was, it was, if you were going to throw one episode away of season one, that would have been the one that I would pick. Uh, and then to your point, Alex, on, on Scarif podcast, the very next episode was Rick Femiwa, um, doing the, uh, the episode where they were kind of doing the prison break from the Republic, uh, prisonership. And that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, and really kind of started the ramp up to what I thought was an amazing season one, you know, kind of finale last two episodes. So uh, it was surprising that that the episode that I liked the least came from Dave Filoni, given that I love most everything else he does within Star Wars. Um, but yes, there was a lot of fan service in that. Yeah.
0: Episode, so. Yeah. I think that if, if anybody has an example of like what is heavy handed fan service, that would be the episode you would point out like, hey, this is a bit much. You know, we get it. You know, you're a Star Wars fan. We're on Tatooine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think I could definitely see if somebody was kind of put off by that episode, like I was. It's, it that's, it's almost too much all at once. You know, the fan service. I think some is something that needs to be sprinkled throughout in little tiny bits, not just like that was like a a double bowl of of ice cream. You know, it's just like way, way too much. Felt sick afterwards. Like, oh man, that was too much.
1: Yeah, that was a uh, 17 scoop uh, Eiffel Tower <laughs> bowl of uh, fan service. Um, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that uh, that was uh, Dave Filoni's episode, and I wonder if that episode would have worked uh, as a cartoon um, because it definitely it definitely had that feel to it. Um, everything from you know the the humor of uh, uh, Amy Sedaris.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, you know, from that, uh, and um, you know, uh, the the actors uh, got off a performance. In my uh, opinion, uh, I don't think worked very well. Um, so, yeah, it it would have been uh, an interesting uh, view to see that episode as a cartoon because I think we wouldn't be as harsh on it if it were uh, part of a Rebels episode.
2: That's a good point. Yeah, I completely agree, and you know, Filoni is the first person who would say that. Uh, kind of, it was a new experience for him working with uh, with a live action environment and actually having to deal with the actors. Because, again, you know you're you're dealing with a performance that's coming from a person who's trying to interpret a particular character, as opposed to you being able to just kind of uh, incorporate that in, into a cartoon or an animation, um, which is something that he's been incredibly successful with. So, all right. So uh, when we when we talk about the Mandalorian, again, this is another perfect example of the fact that once you kind of step outside of the Skywalker saga, they have a little bit more leeway. I feel like with to uh, you know deal with these fan service items to drop them in that episode aside, uh, they did a lot of great things within the Mandalorian. Certainly, Baby Yoda, which was the highlighter, the child, if you prefer, uh, of season one. That is absolutely something that most people would consider to be fan service, but it worked within the greater arc of that particular storyline.
3: True.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i agree it's uh Alex maybe, you. maybe you i more. know i i'm i'm jealous i, I bought this for roe and i'm like man i kind of want this maybe i should <laughs> just keep <give> it <laughs> Shout it to him um yeah yeah mandalorian and uh again like moving forward in star wars if we're talking like beyond the sequel trilogy going forward into the next trilogy or the next set of movies or if they go the the cinematic marvel route and they start making just kind of one-off films that loosely connect and then they kind of do the the team up at the end whatever they decide to do um i believe there is still going to be a a healthy serving of 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 fan service in those movies but being separated so much from the skywalker saga and all these legacy movies and legacy characters that we know of um it might be a little bit easier to handle it might be a little less uh um I don't know, just kind of off-putting uh, for them to do some kind of fan service. Like if a new character somewhere that we don't really know says something along the lines of, like, I have a bad feeling about this or this is where the fun begins or something like that. It's going to be like, oh, that's cool. That's a cool moment. You know, it's nice to hear them say that. But I swear to God, if we get another Death Star, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. done, man. Right, <laughs> It's too many. <laughs> Like stop you know, one, uh, what, stop one, on planets.
1: <laughs> one of the things that I see a lot of fan service uh, with the uh, repetition of lines and stuff are, are in some of the Star Wars comic books. And uh, I read a, a few titles and, uh, you know, I think I mentioned to one of you guys uh, in, in a uh, Twitter uh, conversation we were having, you know, if I hear someone say you can dispense with the pleasantries commander one more time and it's not Darth Vader it's uh it's it's too much it's too over the top um but uh, there are some titles that uh really uh stop doing that and really get into the nitty gritty of the story with uh with great dialogue um i think the lead up comic book to uh the um I, um, yeah the the, the lead-up comic book uh, series to that uh, is really great uh, no repeated lines uh, great story arc uh, really good characters um, I'm, I'm enjoying uh, I'm enjoying that and sometimes you know sometimes I guess you know th- there is such thing as fan service fatigue <laughs> uh, from that <laughs> perspective uh, but uh, you know that that there's a line, obviously, in the sand that uh, it, you know is different to, to each and every person, um, especially in Star Wars.
0: Yeah, Ro, you played uh, you played through the episodes of Vader Immortal, right? So far, yes, yes. Has Has Vader said any iconic lines or any kind of repeat lines from the original trilogy in that, in that um, video game? One
1: or two, yeah, one or two. But but you know what, when it comes to Vader, I'm, I'm, I'm blind because I'm more forgiving. I love Vader, as you can see behind me. Uh, It's, uh, I am definitely more forgiving, you know, standing in front of Vader and him telling you impressive, most impressive. I'm
0: like, yes, thank you.
1: (laughs) So yeah, no, it's a lot more forgiving
0: yeah it, uh, it, the it, ultimate fan service moment to have an iconic yeah, character yeah. look at you in the eye and say most impressive you're like oh my in, god in,
2: <laughs> in rogue defense having played the entire vader immortal series i'm six four i'm not a tiny guy <laughs> uh i've met you guys both in person so i shouldn't be intimidated by having vader walk up to me because i should be at least as big as he is and i'm looking at his chest uh <laughs> So basically <laughs> everything yeah. else kind of goes out the door. I know that he said some things that were probably callbacks to films. I couldn't tell you a single one of them. Um, but yeah, if you ever get a chance and I will tell this to all our listeners, if you ever get a chance to play any of the Vader Immortal episodes, jump on it. Uh, I know that they've, uh, they've offered it at some Dave imposters as, as one of their VR experiences. Um, I've also done the VR experience at Disney Springs, the uh, secrets of the empire. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like vader immortal to the next level because not only do you have that vr storyline but you've got like a, a vest on where you can feel every blaster impact oh nice oh wow um, and and every room that you walk through physically is exactly what you're seeing in the game so if you see a, a wall control and you reach out and trigger is it, there you feel it under your hand um, uh... so it is it is incredible Um, And there's a great tie into that. Uh, So with regards to what we were talking about earlier with Rogue One, kind of the interesting thing. And and we talked about Tarkin and his character and the kind of the additional character development and character um, kind of uh, particulars of his character that you get within that series. But if you are a fan of the actual uh, the books and some of the comics that they put out you get within the current Thrawn Trilogy that they had recent, recently released over the past few years, you get a lot more insight into Tarkin's character and the fact that while he was a Grand moth, he was also very political, um, and the maneuvering that we see within Rogue One is very much in keeping with what we see in his character in the books, and uh, it's a wonderful thing for us as podcasts that most fans don't have time to keep up with the comics and the books and all of the di- different media that is out there, so... If they want to get more enjoyment out of some of these films we're a great place to go to kind of get that filled in without having to invest all that time uh, so we're in a pretty secure position for the future but um it's really kind of it's interesting because what someone might perceive as fan service with a tarkin appearance in the film if they are unfamiliar with kind of the backstory in the books what is actual character development or consistent with that character within a film may be perceived as fan service, even though it's really just furtherance of, of what that character development was in some of these other media.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting too, that uh, you mentioned other media, because I, you know, I, I always uh, often think about all the, the, the different uh, story platforms that we have, especially for star Wars, I don't think, uh, you know, Star Wars is unique in that it has so much other ways of telling the story and, you know, from comic books and novels and now games and things like that, besides the cinematic experience uh, of the storytelling, uh, you know, for this franchise, it's uh, it's a very interesting way of telling the story and uh, it, it's a monumental task. You know, from a company perspective, because there's a lot to keep track of. Uh, you know, obviously Marvel has done a great job with keeping track of it, uh, with uh, the history of their characters. You know, granted they change a few here and there uh, because of the uh, the times that we live in. Some of these characters have changed, uh, you know, for for whatever reason. But uh, you know, Star Wars is unique again, just having so much, uh, so many other different ways of telling the story. Uh, and, uh, you know, as a, a Star Wars fan and someone that loves, again, someone that loves fan service, it's, it's a great time to be alive, to be a Star Wars fan because we're getting so much.
2: I cannot disagree with
1: that, Alex. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? I'm sorry.
2: On what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, Ro was just basically talking about the fact that with all the various forms of media. Um, that kind of further the Star Wars story. It's a great time to be a fan. And, uh, you know, again, kind of to my earlier point about the fact that with with most fans not really having the time to invest, I mean, I love Star Wars. I try to read everything that comes out. I can't even keep up with all the comic series that are out there. Um, and, and I'm supposed to be hosting a podcast where I'm supposedly an authority on these things. Uh, it's, it's a great time to be a fan. There's never a lack of, of material out there. But There's also kind of an underlying factor, which is that there has to be some way to kind of keep all of this uh, kind of uh, in line. I know that with the Expanded Universe, I mean, we talk about the fact that when Force Awakens came out, they basically wiped the Expanded Universe and pushed that into Legends. I mentioned it a number of times on our podcast. They're very much at risk of having the same thing happen here if they're not careful with kind of curating all of these various forms of media that they put stories out in today.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's very difficult to keep up with. And I I run a different, another podcast of my own where we talk about movies and films. And, and, you know, I always have to go and say, okay, I want to make sure I know what I'm talking about. So I'll search YouTube or I'll search the internet or podcasts like yours. And I'll be like, okay, I need to catch up on this subject. And I'll listen to somebody who's an expert on it just so I can kind of uh, get the cliff notes and understand what I'm talking about before I go onto a podcast and record something. Uh, so as far as like a content creator, it's fantastic to have all this different information rolling around there, and have people like yourself and Ro who are experts in specific things, uh, that I can kind of bounce ideas off of and listen to and get and get feedback on. Uh, but it's it's definitely hard uh, to keep up with nowadays, and uh, I think it might be even hard for the people who are making the stuff because a lot of the times you'll catch these little moments of like bad continuity where one thing doesn't really quite match up with another. And then they have to go back and like, kind of explain that or retcon something or, or, you know, from a certain point of view, uh, a certain subject, you know what I mean? Do a a classic Obi-Wan. But the, uh, the thing that I want to, that I would say is most important about this expanded universe stuff and these, these novels and books and and, uh, comics and stuff like that. And even video games too, is that um, you never want to use, this extra material to explain what's happening in the movie the movie itself should be standalone anybody walking in should be able to just pick up right away understand what's happening understand the characters and enjoy the story Uh, nowadays with these companies uh, and it goes it's not just disney it goes for you know cbs with star trek and and uh, all these other companies that have these big franchises on hand uh when they want to They want to do that huge multimedia conglomerate, you know, like, oh, we have books and we have novels and we have movies and we have cartoons and this and that. And it's all, you know, connected. And and you have to watch this obscure episode of this cartoon in order to understand what's happening in this comic. And then this comic is going to feed into this TV show. And then this TV show is going to feed into this movie that we're going to make later that's it's a bit too much. You know, it's, it's hard for the casual viewer. It's even hard for the for the hardcore fans to really get into because you have to follow every one of these little plot threads. Uh, to understand something in a story that should be self-sustaining so I I would just caution I mean I don't think anybody's going to listen to me but if anybody's listening to (laughs) the salty nerd over here (laughs) uh, you know don't you don't want to overdo it with your with uh, your expanded universe or or with your like Marvel-esque you know you have to watch Ant-Man and the Wasps in order to understand Endgame kind of a thing like yeah I get what they're doing it is uh, in a business direction it's very smart (laughs) Bro, what are you doing over
1: there? <laughs> I'm calling Kevin Feige. Let him oh, okay. let him know what your message is. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's uh, you know it, there is a fine line though because you mentioned Star Trek and uh, you know I'm I'm in the middle of enjoying uh, the uh, Picard series and uh, you know somebody had uh, shared some screenshots of the comic book story that lead, that led up to this the, to the events of the series of the supernova. Um and you know, getting back to George Lucas and Star Wars, you know George Lucas's uh, method of telling a story, uh, as we all know, he uh, he builds the worlds, he builds the the infrastructure of what is going on in this world, and he throws you in the middle uh, of it without really ex- having to explain like every single detail. But yeah. there's a, there's a, there's certainly a, a fine art because I think the sequel trilogy has tried to do that but has uh, failed in many ways because there's actually there's I think there's more questions now than 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 before. Um, uh, and and I hate to say this, uh, but that you know, it's, uh, you know, th- there's certain things in the original trilogy that you know, were left kind of like uh, with a little question mark. they they might have been explained later on. Yeah. Um, but I, I think nowadays they are really counting on that additional uh material of the additional ways of telling the story to kind of fill in the gaps without having to uh worry about the quality of the story in the first place uh because i think if if the quality of the story in the first place was maybe i don't know fine-tuned or tweaked a little bit more i think that extra material probably would mean a lot more to us uh you know in in hindsight
0: yeah, and I got in an argument with somebody on Twitter, of course, um, about this very subject, uh, about Bubba Fett. Uh, I was like, you know, they were complaining about Captain Phasma being kind of a waste. You know, we didn't get anything about her character. She died like a punk, whatever. She looked cool, but she had no, like, real stamina or no no staying power. I'm like... It's all everything you just said could be said about Boba Fett. <laughs> it's like, okay. you know what I mean? Like it, it, up until true in the seventies and eighties and the nineties, totally like we knew nothing about Boba Fett. There was some EU material, from what I understand, some books and stuff. And then, of course, he showed up in the in the in the uh, the Star Wars Christmas special cartoon. I think um, that was like the first introduction to him. Uh, But, like, we really didn't know anything about him in the films. And he kind of died with, like, a slapstick joke with, you know, Han being blind and accidentally hitting him in his rocket pack. And it's like, and then, you know, they complain about, you know, Captain Phasma. And I'm like, yeah, I I get what you're saying. You know, she's not as popular now because it hasn't been 20 years of of lore and building. And, like, oh, Boba Fett was so cool looking. Like, it's not the same. We don't live in the same world that we did in in the 70s and 80s when that was when he became popular, so it's Star Wars fans are weird, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they get I, hung I up can on some, see that. They get hung up on some weird, so weird things. Yeah. it's like you know, yeah, and 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 back. Phasma could have who knows? You know, Phasma could have a story uh written about her. I think there is one book. Oh about yeah, her. yeah, it's called Phasma. Is it? Oh okay, she already has a book about She's her. She's got and,
1: a book, yeah.
0: Yeah, and who knows? You know, she like the I, I the thing that I said was like. uh you know, it took 20 years for us to learn where Boba Fett came from. And the only reason we know, and I honestly, this might actually serve into our plot about uh fan is Like, do we really need to have Boba Fett being the template for the clone army? Like that felt like that kind of is a fan servicey moment. We're like, yeah. Oh, everybody loved Boba Fett. So let's have him or his dad be the template uh, for the clone army. And that way we can have like a cool little Boba Fett backstory. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fan service. That's a hundred percent fan service. I
1: agree. And and uh, first of all, I we still don't know why this this stranger needed a child,
0: uh, you know, as his own. It's it's kind
1: of a little creepy there.
0: <laughs> he wanted to be a single dad, bro. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's yeah, just an example funny. of like of interesting fan service uh, that you know you could or could not agree with. I, I know a lot of people love the prequels these days, Ro, You're one of them. I grew up in an, in a time where it was kind of the cool thing to kind of poop on the on the prequels, so um, that's just kind of how my mentality is. But uh, having Boba Fett be a main part of that was was twenty years later. You know, we didn't know anything about him in the original trilogy, so when you can kind of compare that to the Captain Phasma, what we don't really have a lot of information on, looks really cool, has maybe a couple of cool backstories. I understand her armor was made out of. Uh, a, a, a cruiser from Naboo I think it was Emperor Palpatine's uh, cruiser which I think that's kind of cool <laughs> yeah, so I mean yeah. there's there's a lot of cool elements to Phasma and and her being a fan service moment which, or fan service character kind of harkening back to the to trying to be the next Boba Fett like sure you know you can take it or leave it some people don't like it I don't think it's a problem uh but it's a it's definitely an example of fan service
2: That comment triggered something for me that that you had talked about earlier and that uh, was a thought that had popped into my head and then kind of escaped me. But when we were talking about, uh, you know, the the First Order armor and then the fact that the SIP Trooper was basically just kind of like a red version of that. To me, that all ties into the fact that the Praetorian Guard had worn that red armor and that actually was one of the materials that was resistant to uh you know glancing blaster bolts and glancing lightsaber uh, attacks it was one of the materials that was actually in in some ways resistant to lightsabers and you actually see within the rise of skywalker you know they they charge through the halls of the star destroyer of color and star destroyer and they're taking out stormtroopers right and left you know shooting them in the in the upper chest and they just fall into the ground when they're charging across the, the hull plates of the Star Destroyer that's kind of rising into atmosphere and fighting against the Sith Troopers, they very deliberately show a Sith Trooper take a shot in pretty much the same spot, and it just kind of glances off, and he continues fighting. So to me, that red armor was actually, you know, had some of those same properties as the Praetorian Guard armor, in the sense that it was resistant to blaster bolts and lightsabers. Um, and that's something that you wouldn't expect a a typical fan to know you kind of have to be a little bit more into the lore but it goes very much to your point about the fact that I do think that they're very much at risk of creating a situation where they're not telling the full story in the film that you do have to have some understanding of some of this expanded material and I do think that that is a a negative in terms of storytelling within the Star Wars universe. What's interesting is that now we are experiencing this Disney plus streaming service where for less than the cost of potentially creating a film, you can do a eight or ten episode arc uh, on that streaming service and you have more ground to actually flesh out the story. And it just kind of makes me wonder if the long term, Goal is going to be, you know, we talk about uh, the movement online about, you know, uh, Solo Two. I can f- I can far easier see that being a Disney Plus streaming series as opposed to a film in a the theater. Mm.
1: I agree. I would love to see yeah. Solo Two as as part of a uh, a series. And uh, you know, one of the aspects of that film is, uh, you know, getting back to the, our service uh, fan service talk. Um, there was there were definitely some callbacks there that uh, really harkened back to A New Hope. Uh, a lot of elements that I really enjoyed uh, with the story, and something that I hope that uh, that gets kind of revisited if uh, if a sequel uh, to Solo gets uh, gets started, uh, whether in film form or Disney Plus. I think it it will be an interesting uh, time going forward, especially with Disney Plus, because it is yet another way to tell a Star Wars story. And never in my wildest dreams would I have uh, imagined that we would get, you know, Star Wars series like, like we are getting now. So it's, it's it's going to be, you know, if you don't like fan service now then hold on to your hats, brother, cause it's coming.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a different, it's a different time too, because if you look back at the original trilogy, uh, kind of going back to the whole bubble Fett thing, also the, the emperor, you know, we never got any kind of backstory. To the emperor. We don't know how he became emperor. He was just, he was the big bad. He was the man in charge. And I think what you guys were talking about with George kind of just dropping us in the middle of a situation and, and letting us take off and, and go for it. Like, that worked back then because it was the original trilogy. It was the first story that they were telling. Uh, now that we've lived in this universe for 40 years, it's much harder to kind of drop people in the middle of a situation without answering a ton of questions, without explaining to them why this person is doing that or why this person is in charge or who you know who's involved. Unless, like Rob, like you said, it's something like The Mandalorian where it's kind of separated. Uh, from yeah. the from the overarching story and kind of a, away from the uh the peop- the characters that we know. Uh which I think was one of the problems with Snoke. Uh, I know Ryan Johnson kind of defended his movie by saying like I can kill Snoke if I want to. They killed the emperor and we didn't know anything about him. And I'm like yeah, but you know, you can't do that anymore <laughs> like George could do it. <laughs> but it's kind of hard to do that now because we we lived in this in this universe. So there's a lot of fan service involved in that where like you know it might be it might be hard for some directors to do because they feel like they shouldn't have to but in a way you do have to kind of service the fandom and 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 acknowledge the fact that they are is steeped into this world and they expect answers to these kind of like questions that people normally wouldn't ask i guess uh but we do now and and there's so many star wars fans out there that you can't ignore that demographic it's not just it's not just a few nerds online talking about it. Like us three, like it's an entire culture out there now, a lot of people, (laughs) a lot of nerds online too. (laughs) So it's uh, you know, it's something that you have to consider as a story maker. And as a, uh, as a director, when you're making these movies that are in this universe, in this sandbox, you kind of have to play by the rules now.
1: Yeah. It's definitely harder to surprise you when it comes to this. And I think that's one of the reasons that I'm kind of, uh, Uh, You know, happy now that Rise of Skywalker Episode Nine, is done. Uh, You know, we get to uh, explore a new sandbox, if you will, Alex, uh, in this, uh, you know, in this Star Wars universe. Um, We'll always have, uh, you know, great moments uh, from the original trilogy and some of the other Star Wars films that we have enjoyed throughout the years. Uh, But I'm looking forward to see what they come up with, uh, with new Star Wars, uh, new characters. And uh, I'm excited
2: yeah and just you know it, along the lines of what alex was talking about i know that uh when we did the last uh, uh the fireside chat with uh with scarif uh, out here on online and it's out there on his youtube channel if you want to go check it out but uh you know separately danny had basically been talking about the fact that you know one of the issues with the you know the Raylo approach to things was that it was so heavily hinted at that there was some sort of connection that went beyond just a dyad in the force within The Last Jedi and it was kind of a bait and switch situation within the last Skywalker. So to your point, Alex, I mean it is something where you have to be very careful about that. And um you're going to potentially rile the fan base if you seem to promise them something and then yank that rug out from under their feet. Uh so Certainly, you know, the the interesting thing about this is what is going to be the future of Star Wars. We know there's still going to be some Star Wars in the cinema. It's clear that they're going to be doing a lot of Star Wars within the streaming service uh, that Disney Plus is offering, within the comics, within the books, within who knows what else, uh, you know, some of the audio books that have been done uh, with Dooku Jedi Lost. So there's all kinds of media that this is coming out in. And I do agree that that is just going to open the door for more claims of fan service. Uh, but I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. I'm, I'm on board with both of you in the sense that in many cases, if it's in service to the story, fan service is a good thing. So um, Alex, I know that earlier you were very uh, humble in the sense that you did not refer to your podcast. Uh, so for any of our listeners, that is the salty nerd podcast Roe is a longtime supporter of the salty nerd. And, uh, and I would definitely recommend that to anyone who is interested in pop culture Overall, you guys deal with more than just Star Wars. You deal with uh, Marvel and and any number of other topics. So I would certainly encourage, you know, most of our listeners, they may be Star Wars fans, but certainly uh, they're going to be interested in other topics outside of Star Wars. And uh, you guys are a great opportunity to go catch up on the latest and greatest in that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your podcast?
0: Uh, thanks, Rob. Uh, yeah, I run the Salty Nerd podcast. It's just a group of friends. We sit down and chat about the uh, the week's pop culture news, TV shows that are are uh, more lean towards the nerd uh, culture. We don't really do the dramas and stuff like that. But uh, you know, we do like Stephen King has got that new show on HBO, uh, The Outsider. We talk about that uh, Avenue five is a story about people in space. So we talk about that, uh, but we do definitely cover all the comic book movies, uh, Marvel, whether, uh, and star Wars news and uh, anything else that really has to do with nerd culture. Um, we just sit down and have a chat and, and it's a lot of fun. There's a little bit of salt. We definitely criticize things that we don't like, and we're not afraid to, uh, to tell people what, what's what we think is good and what we think is not good. Um, so we, we, but we just have a lot of fun with it. It's just a couple of people sitting down and, uh, and having a good time we hang out at eight o'clock in the morning on a wednesday afternoon and we chat about movies and stuff and uh it's it's a nice dynamic um uh, we're we're pretty new we've only got about 15 episodes in as far as this main group uh that i'm working with right now of co-hosts and and they're great people and we have a ton of fun listening so or uh talking about it so uh hopefully that comes across Row, you can kind of speak to um to what it feels like to be a listener of that oh, uh, that yeah. group dynamic that we have, I, I'm in the middle of it, so it's hard for me to know if it's funny or not. But I love the guys that I talk to, and, and uh, I'm hoping that that comes across for the listeners as well.
1: Sorry, Rob, we're taking over your podcast here, but uh, <laughs> you know, the Salty Nerd Podcast. You guys have a great team that uh, talk uh, everything uh, geek and nerd. Uh, you know, the two mats and uh, your new um you're a, a, a new contributor uh Jude, Jude Jude yeah uh you guys are fantastic you know i i listen to the podcast and it's actually one of the first podcasts that i really got into and i you know I, I remember thinking i'm like oh wow this is uh this guy is really cool uh uh he gets right to the meat of things uh you know he doesn't talk about what he had for breakfast for the first like 28 minutes and then he starts <laughs> to do so uh, it, it's uh, it, it's uh an element of podcast that i enjoy um, and then listening to Salty Nerd Podcast and all you guys, you know, I was telling you guys earlier on, on uh, our uh, show that, uh, you know, starting that episode, that last episode, you guys talked about, uh, you know, I, I was grinning ear to ear because it, it definitely feels like, you know, you're hanging out with your buddies at a bar, you know, uh, drinking and talking film. So it's it's very... You know laid back it's very uh, you know you definitely get an education with Kadish Kadish there yeah and uh, it's uh, it, it's a really fun podcast to listen to i highly recommend it thanks yeah, guys appreciate
2: yeah, it yeah definitely don't stop there row I mean uh, you've got your scarif podcast I've been a fan of you guys since you started uh, when it was just you and Brad and then you guys brought Alex on board uh, as Brad is a member of the military and uh, currently in active service so he kind of gets deployed and uh, isn't always able to make the podcast, but uh, you know, I'd love, I would definitely recommend to any of our listeners certainly listen to the Salty Near podcast and definitely uh, check out the Scarif podcast. We do a lot of work with them. We did uh, a con 2019 in uh, Chicago back in November. That's available on the Scarif podcast channel. Um, but you guys definitely take a look at things. Uh, certainly from a more adult perspective uh, you're not afraid to to give your thoughts about what's going on in the, in the star Wars world. Um, which I think for a lot of us who have been longtime fans is is really the way that we like to address it. We should be able to talk about all these things. You guys are always very good about, um, you know, listening to people from all viewpoints and having a rational, reasonable discussion uh, without it becoming, you know, something where everyone's getting their feathers ruffled and I definitely respect that. That is a a rare talent to have in this day and age. The Switzerland of Star Wars
0: podcast. Yeah. Scuttlebutt. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Somebody
1: had mentioned that. It's funny. You know, uh, I'm very uh, humbled and I'm very lucky to have, uh, 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 you know, a co-host like Alex and and Brad. We started back in April. Uh, But, uh, you know, we. Uh, Rob, you'll attest to this as well. I mean, we've made such a great community. We got folks like uh, Lauren from the Galactica uh, podcast. Uh, we got uh, Charlie Skywalker. We got Pete Fletzer, uh, Mike. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of us that are doing this, and there's a lot of us that support each other. Um, and I have been humbled uh, at all the support and uh, from all across uh, our Star Wars um, you know, fan community and uh podcast community, hashtag pod people. So uh, you know, it's it it's it's been a, a great ride. Uh we continue to uh to make friends and grow the podcast, uh, especially when we do collaborations like this uh with you, Rob, and with uh, some of our other pod friends. And uh, you know, we just we just want to talk Star Wars, uh have a good time, uh and uh, you know, th- just having fun.
2: Yeah. Ripping on a point that was made earlier in the podcast right it was uh, it was the obi-wan kenobi you know a great many great many uh things done greatly on our point of view and that is certainly the case within the star wars community and just because i'm coming from a particular viewpoint and i feel a, a particular way about certain things doesn't mean we can't sit down and have a rational conversation i can't count the number of times that in this collaboration we've had between uh jedi temple archives and scare Podcast that someone's brought up a point that has made me think uh, a different way about something that maybe I had a preconception about. I know I brought up points that, you know, I, I can picture the look on Alex's face where he'll be like, you know, and so the fact that people are willing to at least consider another viewpoint and, and uh, approach it from that and, and kind of maybe rethink something they held to be fact, um, is what this is supposed to be about we're supposed to be kind of enriching each other's experience and i very much feel like that's been the case in our in our collaborations in the past
0: that's what that's what drew me to podcasts uh when i first started listening to uh, i think joe rogan's podcast where he would have these controversial figures on as interviewing and, and guests and he was like you know it's much easier to to be negative when you have just quick snippets and sound bites but when you sit down and you have a conversation with with somebody uh for or an hour or two hours or something like that uh you can you can get this a uh, much more nuanced idea of what you know somebody's opinion is and i think that helps um you know within the current state of, of star wars fandom i think it's important for for us pod people to uh to be out here having full conversations about a subject that might, if you look on Twitter, it looks like the fandom is at war. And if they go to celebration, they're going to try and kill each other with fake lightsabers. It's like, that's not, that's a, that's like a whole different world on online. But if you come onto here and you have a conversation with somebody, it's a totally different feeling. So um, I, for one, am a big fan of podcasting and I'm glad to see that Roe and Rob, you guys are, are heading off the star Wars fandom as far as I'm concerned in a new direction. Um, as opposed to some of these old school Star Wars podcasts, who might be kind of set in their ways and might be a bit more controversial. I really like to support the people who are, Hey, let's have a conversation about this and let's see if we can come to a result that is at least acceptable to most people, you know, or or talk about a subject that we might not agree on, but it's okay if we don't agree on, we don't have to, have some kind of a crazy blood feud on Twitter about it. So uh, I definitely appreciate the work that you guys are doing. And that's one of the reasons why I came on to work with Ro on Scaref Scuttlebutt was I was like, I, I like what you're doing. Uh, I like the takes that you were having that you had and in- with Brad. And of course um, the production quality is just on point, man. I'm still impressed by that. <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Every episode of uh, Ro puts a lot of time and effort into the Scarif podcast. Uh, definitely check them out. Um, Guys, thank you so much for coming on. I don't want to take up too much more of your evening. I think we had a great discussion across the two episodes that we had. I don't think it's a topic that we're ever going to solve, uh, no matter how many episodes we do on it. But, uh, you know, again, having these conversations is what makes people think. And, and I think that's really the most important thing in terms of the Star Wars fandom
1: in this day and age. Thank you very much, Rob, for having us. Uh, uh, a wonderful collaborator, as always. And, uh, until next time, yeah, we're, uh, we're uh, also uh, gearing up to do another collaboration with uh, the folks at uh, Coruscant Radio Underground. We're going to be talking about our favorite Star Wars novels and uh, anything from Thrawn to some of the uh, recent books, uh, uh, Kevin Scott and uh, Claudia Gray, Lost Stars, and we're going to be taking a special look at uh, what uh, almost became the sequel to Star Wars, uh, Alan Dean Foster's Splinter of a Mind's Eye. And uh, that should be a very interesting discussion. Uh, Andrew, uh, reads a lot uh he's i think he's going to be able to give us some great insight into uh all of our favorite novels uh I haven't read uh a, a whole bunch of them but uh, the ones that I've read I've really enjoyed i think my favorite one is lost stars but Cla- uh, Claudia gray uh you know albeit at a young adult's uh novel hey I'm a young adult what the hell man but uh yeah it's uh it, it's a it's, it's a really great uh, well written story. And, uh, you know, she's probably one of my favorite uh, Star Wars actors or uh, sorry, writers uh, at this moment. Uh, So we'll be having a discussion uh, at the end of the month uh, with uh, with those folks.
2: Yeah, I would definitely recommend that particular book Uh, to anyone who's a fan. It is considered current canon. Um, And the interesting thing about that is it deals with two young people that uh, it ties in with Grandma Tarkin. Uh, relatively early in the book, but they kind of end up along different paths after going through the Imperial Academy and one ends up, uh, you know, uh, aligning with the Rebel Alliance and the other one is is, uh, aligned with the Galactic Empire. And it's very interesting to kind of get that dynamic. It's very much uh, a blue and a gray type of of storyline where you potentially got, uh, not in this case, brothers uh, fighting against each other, but certainly two young people that... um, that have a connection based on their shared experience, but end up along different paths. So, uh, really, really cool, pertinent story, but yeah, thank you guys both for coming on. Uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap the episode and we look forward to hearing more from you guys next week. So thank you so much. And may the force be with you.